My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And my name is Meg. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. Everworld Edition. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The end, The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Warning. The Decision. The Spectre. The Sound. Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Weak Conspiracy. The Solution. The Deception. The Suspicious Existence. The Spectre. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Everworld 4. Realm of the Reaper. WTE. WTE! <laughs> that's what we all say now. Can you yes. guess what it stands for, listeners? Well, that's Everworld. Uh, what the Everworld? Wide Asseling Foundation. <laughs> Want those Everworld. <laughs> Alright, that was a that was a nice clean introduction to this week's episode. Good luck. Animorphology slash Everworld. <laughs> yeah, so finally got to Jaleel's book here. Jaleel's book. Yeah, That's we were excited. What we about read. This one. Yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna I, I'll be brave enough to dip my toes in first. <laughs> okay. Someone's I did not particularly it. enjoy the first couple of chapters of this book, and there was very little to redeem it up until the halfway point. But I actually think I liked the second half of this book more than anything that we've read in Everworld so far. I actually am. I'm into the the. I'm into whatever was going on in Hell's Underworld in terms of, like, horror and, like, sheer off-the-wall bonkersness. I'm not as into it in terms of, like, the mythology or even, like, its position in the series. So I was pleasantly surprised by how this book ended up at... I was pleasantly surprised by where this book ended up. I still have a lot that I want to complain about and that I know that we will all be complaining about. Yeah. I was actually pretty disappointed that we were doing another Norse god in this book. I I wish if it's all about all these different mythologies, they keep name dropping all these other mythologies, but it seems like we've been pretty entangled with the, the Nordic gods. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising choice, honestly. So Meg, overall, your take... Uh, it wasn't what I was expecting. It was different from all of the other books. I was excited for that. I still feel like we're spinning our wheels and stumbling into yeah. the plot instead of having proactive protagonists. That was my, that was one of my major takeaways. I didn't like Jaleel at all in the first couple chapters. We'll get into it. I um I have conflicted feelings about the OCD stuff. The mythology in this book was horrific and not in a good way. I really was so annoyed. Like, the end of the last book, where, like, it took them three books, but they got a purpose. Then that just evaporates at the beginning of this book. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually with Ted in that the action of the second half, like, once once they're, like, in Hell's, like, space and that's all happening, like, I actually got really absorbed. And I thought that was, like, better storytelling than we had seen in a while from this series. Um, so major reservations, but in, in a lot of ways, I, I enjoyed the the story. <laughs> Gray? I mean, yeah, I guess if the takeaway is, well, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, it, it could have been. Um, I didn't enjoy it. I was very frustrated with some of the Jaleel stuff. And then the mythology stuff happened. And I lost my damn mind a yeah. lot. 
And then I'm so excited to talk about that. So much. It's, I also gonna, will there's say there's gonna be so much rage. I just I yeah the the rant the rant about this is going to be extensive, and I apologize in advance to all of our <laughs> beloved listeners for having to sit through it. I'll I'll tell you when I get started, and you can just skip ahead <laughs> five minutes. No, if no, you want. no, no, yeah. I, I want to. I kind of want to let you go first because I like I I expect I have like the thirty second version of that, but I just want yeah. the five minute version. Yeah, I like I did some research, and the research filled me with rage. But I suspect you either know more, like no more, and or did more research, and I I welcome it into my life. I appreciate that. Yeah, I just I mean I I think my two. So the mythology is my biggest complaint personally, because some of it was so bad that it hurt my feelings. Um, that's how bad it was. <laughs> but the other stuff really is the the lack of plot still. Four books yeah. into a young adult series. There are other better series of similar book lengths for a similar audience that have completed entire story arcs by this point. <laughs> and instead... We're four books in and plot question mark, and also even some by the same authors yeah. that do that a lot better. Yeah, and then also the uh, revisiting the North Norse gods, which I think is just a missed opportunity. I, I yeah don't have a way to explain it other than maybe they were into Norse mythology. And then things happened, and I was like, no, that's not even the explanation. Uh, no. And then, <laughs> They're clearly not that into Norse mythology. Nope. So yeah, uh, maybe before we get started with that, should we hear what happens? Yeah, Meg. All right, here we go. Everworld, book four, Realm of the Reaper. It's a Jaleel book. WTE, everyone. We're still (laughs) wandering kind of aimlessly around Everworld, but we start with Jaleel in the real world washing his hands. And we find out something about one of our protagonists is he has obsessive compulsive disorder, not the stuff you see in pop culture where someone's like, oh, I'm just really tidy. But he has compulsions that he has to follow and his revolve around washing his hands and the numbers how ha- uh, like the number of how many times he does it. So real world Jaleel is dealing with that, but Everworld Jaleel doesn't have to. Some magic about it. <laughs> we'll um, talk about it. <laughs> they try to attack a pig to get food, and it all turns around because the pig attacks them and then steals the last of what they have. And what they have is like crust of bread and some tiny wormy apples because they were minstrels to this town, family, mm-hmm. place. <laughs> uh, they were minstrels there for a few days, and then they realized that oh, wow, these people want more than just song and dance. They want good times. And they're like, sorry, that's not for us. We're young adults and we have to leave right now immediately. Um, so as they're still bickering, this this book has a lot of bickering scenes. Um, <laughs> they're walking around and they come to, they see this small town and they smell fresh baked bread and Jaleel did bring in some cool, like, world-building things to point out, oh, look, those are communal bakeries outside of town. And so I did like I did like having a very competent main character who could take Ooh, in yeah. information and make really good deductions. I did enjoy that. But they get, they get a real skeevy feeling about town. And so as they're trying to leave, a column of soldiers march up. And as soon as 
the text said something derogatory about one of the soldiers' high voices, I'm like, I bet they're all eunuchs. And I was right. <laughs> so um, they get marched into town, and it's like a prison town where everybody's fed and everybody's happy, but really everyone knows they're doomed because it turns out this town is in possession of, in, what am I trying to say? This town is owned by. In service of? Yeah, in service of. That's a much better one. This town is in service of Hel, H-E-L, who is Loki's daughter and the goddess of Hel. And so um, we try to get out of town. Not very hard. Feel like we could have <laughs> feel like we could have come up with a better plan. Especially because okay, listen, this is this is meta summarizing. Jaleel comments on how there's an easy way out of town because they've thrown all their refuse over the back wall and it would just be easy oh, to climb yeah. up and over. And I'm like, didn't use that to get out. Check but anyway, garbage pile there. Uh, they go downstairs into hell and they well sorry. Hell comes into town to find true men for her pleasure times um and not only do we have some quote-unquote true men in our group but they're from earth and that's of particular interest to her so she captures all of them she was pretty cool as like like ted you were saying that the the horror elements of this book were pretty interesting so she's literally half alive and half rotting and dead and her alive half is very beautiful and her dead half is very disgusting uh she has a very uh, strong sense of interior decoration. She leads them down. <laughs> <laughs> she leads them down the fellow brick road, um, which is just a group of fellows <laughs> who are buried in the ground up to their mouths, and they walk on top of their skulls like bricks, like cobblestones. They spent like three pages on this horrible, horrible road. Um, but well, we find out that. Hell has captured Senna. Senna has told them all. Senna has told Hell all about these Earth kids, and that's why, like, Hell particularly wants them. Um, we try to escape and get away. We jump down this really big, long tunnel that's full of crucified people all nailed to the sides of it. Jaleel finds Senna, who's also been captured by Hell and is hanging by these very thin threads. The two of them go way down below. And we had some really interesting stuff with Jaleel and Senna that I did enjoy. And I think we'll talk about that later. We don't get a ton, a ton of answers, but we finally do know how Jaleel and Senna are connected. And at one point in the real world, she was considering to have Jaleel be her champion and to prove, I guess, her powers, she took away his obsessive compulsive disorder. His comp- Sorry, she took away his compulsions for a short amount of time. Um, so that's why he's magically connected to her. Uh, and while we're down there, we meet a whole lot of critters and creatures. We meet uh, more Hetwan. And we meet a particular Hetwan monster who swallows them alive. And we had flashbacks to Megamorphs when Rachel had to puncture the sea monster's lungs to breathe. Yeah. We use our little Excalibur pocket knife to puncture a blimp extra skin. Listen, Apple Grant does great aliens. Why they're putting all the aliens in a mythology story? Again, it's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> but they they make it out. The Hetwans are animating all of the bones of Hell's victims that have been cast down here. 
and they are animating these bone animatronics, bone animatronics, uh, to dig their way up to where hell is. Senna is like, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. And she disguises herself as one of these skeletons and vanishes. Jaleel reunites with the rest of the team. They fight a bunch of the skeletons. Um, and it's great because if you take out one of the het wand, you take out a squadron of skeletons. And sorry, I did tell this a little bit out of order, but you know, and then we also meet a dragon. There's just a dragon <laughs> down here with a ton of treasure and we all get away. Senna's with the group now. <laughs> They're really Wait, like... Wait, they don't get away from the dragon. Don't they have are to they go... With the dragon, the dragon at sends the one an errand. Oh, the dragon yeah. sends the one an errand. They make a deal with the dragon because Christopher's weird obsession with leprechauns ends up being plot relevant. Uh, and the <laughs> dragon is like, I need you to go on a fetch quest for me to get my stuff back from the leprechauns. I don't know why yeah. we have to listen to this dragon. I don't know why we can't just say, yeah, we'll do that. And then just never come back, which is what I, I mean. That do. also seems it seems likely that that's what will happen since, mm-hmm. I don't know, stuff gets dropped in this series. They'll just go off to the leprechauns um, and then never come back. Meg, I just I just want to give some space to commend you <laughs> on the truly excellent pun. You snuck into your summary. <laughs> I was bowled over. <laughs> I was going to take Gray really, was so bowled over she's gone. I was going to take really good notes this time cuz you know I'm like I have to do the summary and I was doing uh just like one sentence per chapter so I could do the summary and then I just wrote fellow brick road in like four lines of text high and didn't take another note for the rest of the book. So I was like this is, this is as good as it's going to get. It's so bad and it you should feel bad about it. No, that's a lie. I mean, I laughed. I laughed. <laughs> you should feel but great also. about it. So Also, I don't know if this is technically part of my summary, but my book also has the Iron Odd t-shirt. Yeah. Creepy. In case we want Hal's face on a shirt? Why would we want that? Oh my gosh, what's your Should shirt? Should we make oh, shirts? It's from this podcast I do. <laughs> It's from a 90s book series that I don't like. None of us like these, do Okay, raise your hands. <laughs> do we like reading Everworld? No. Oh, no hands went up. I, I like critiquing Everworld. That is fun. So, again, I will say I. it took me a while, but I did enjoy the second half of this book enough that I am curious about it. I... I laughed in a kind of horrified way at the punchline of the book, which is leprechauns as a running gag that they're going to try to address. But in hearing your reactions to this book, I'm kind of remembering my takeaway after the first book was that I just knew that Apple Grant were not going to deliver mm. in any kind of like larger way a satisfying story about mythologies and stuff. Yeah. So like... I, I, it's totally true that the plot is, like, abysmal. Like, we have no mm-hmm. idea what's going on. You're Like you were saying just now, Jenny, stuff gets dropped left and right. But, like, the ride in this one, the second half at least, was particularly interesting. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they can do that a couple more times in the series. Something I totally forgot in my summary Hell has a number of frozen gods, like, just in her... Oh, yeah. Treasure room? Boudoir. She has Thor. (laughs) Thor's not dead. He's there, and she's given him a little toy hammer. 
See, and like, I'm super interested in that, but I know it's not going to pay off in a satisfying way. So <laughs> no. like, I'm not even engaging. You just become cynical. Yeah. So, okay. So cynical. here's the thing about, I'll, ah. I don't know if we want to get right into the the mythology stuff, but I'll, I'll tee this up for someone now or, or later. So why I think the second half lands for me, I think Apple Grant, they're really good at horror. They're especially yes. really good at body horror. We know this from Animorphs mm-hmm. uh-huh. and they get to show it off in this book. Um, just like even before they get into Hell's Lair, they describe like the like this like decomposing flesh being smeared across the buildings, yeah. the sides of buildings in the city, which is just absolutely horrifying. And you have no idea what it's going to be. And then it's like it's this huge woman who's half dead. And then when they're fighting her, they're cutting her into pieces. The fellow brick road, as you described, uh. the like the pit full of people being tortured, like all of that is very effectively delivered horror. There's the body horror when Jaleel gets swallowed by the thing. Um, but there's also a lot of really, really, like, like zany um, elements to to that whole sequence, right? And, like, it's, it's, like, so over the top. It's, like, something that, like, again, a 16 or 17-year-old would be, like, super excited to be, like, yeah, and the streets are made out of people's heads, but they're still alive. Oh, cool. <laughs> like, and some of the stuff at the end was like, oh, and they're animating skeletons, but if you kill the boss, all the skeletons pass out. <laughs> you know, like, and like, the snake is so long, it goes all the way from here to there. You know, like, it's like, uh, it feels very fun and over the top and like not at all well grounded i feel Mm -hmm. like if i were playing like a fantasy video game in the 90s that was just like as derivative as possible like Mm -hmm. if the game had like good mechanics or something i would enjoy it because like it's fun to see skeletons and stuff around but like it doesn't hang together and like why are the the aliens are invading hell in order to do this other thing it doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all so the alien thing, Meg, when you said that, like, that really clicked for me. I was like, wait, why are there aliens? Thank because, you. Like, one of the more, one of the potentially, like, compelling ways to use mythology in a fantasy story is like, okay, whoa, we have all of these very different, like, elements. Like, we can draw on so much different stuff. So we need to, like, find the interesting parts of mythology to pull in and, like, oh, how would these gods interact if they actually met in real life? But instead of that being the problem or that being the constraining factor where we have to work within these existing mythologies, they're just introducing aliens. Like, they're so imaginative with the aliens, but, like, it is giving them this escape hatch from having to work within the limits of mythology. And even when they're dealing with the mythological elements, they're not really dealing with the actual mythological elements Mm -hmm. and like constraints are a thing that makes something really interesting potentially like the material that like all the mythology in the history of the world gives them is so rich and they're just choosing not to use it really like they just want their own weird imagined version of hell which i want gray's take on this momentarily and like and only really engaging with the Norse gods and the knights of the round table and like just leaving leaving so much material on the other table that's not round. Yeah, and um, so like I was like so I thought I thought it was gonna be um I I had the feeling that we were getting Norse again. I didn't 
it didn't quite click for me right away that Hel was like the daughter of Loki and Norse Norse underworld god mm-hmm. woman slash like she has an unclear origin in in mythology anyway, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But like the when when the uh, the guards were riding the horses with split legs, like eight legged horses. I was like, that's so weird. Did Apple Grant just make that up? And I Googled it and I was like, no, Odin had yeah. one cool eight-legged horse. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I mean, this is kind of like typical Apple Grant. They're like, oh yeah, there was at least one eight-legged horse. So okay. now like, I guess there's just a whole species <laughs> wait, wait, of eight-legged wait, ten, horses. There's one more no, very no. important step because <laughs> Odin had one eight-legged horse grandchild. This yeah. eight-legged horse is also <gasps> Loki's child. That's Loki's kid. It's Hell's brother. Oh. Hell's brother is right, right, near. Okay, that's even better. That's even better because I didn't I didn't even realize that when I was doing my Wikipedia research, right? So they were like, oh yeah, this this is a whole book about one of Loki's kids and like we're getting into Loki's family, but we just retconned Loki's son, the horse guy, into a bunch of generic horse guys. Or maybe they are all Loki. Like, <laughs> Hell's, Hell's brothers had... and sisters are just being ridden like, around the plains. Instead of having just... A horse child. He had like a spider sack of like a spider sack, <laughs> and then it broke open. Yes. And all these little oh. like horses came out. Yes, yes. that's so stupid. They were so <laughs> cool, and I was. Thank really you guys upset for correcting that, me on that. Yeah. yeah. What a missed opportunity. Also, and they had the talking pig. Why couldn't they have a talking eight-legged horse being like, "I am Loki's son." <laughs> mythology. Nay. Mythology-wise, how do we feel about? There's just elves and dwarves now. Where do the elves come from? Is that a Celtic thing? No, it's a Norse thing. The, the, it's okay. a Norse thing. It's a Norse thing. There are elves in Norse mythology. Hey, Gray, do you want to go on an okay. Apple Grant? Yeah. I think it's time for oh. a rant from Gray. Well, I wanted to know, did Jenny have any additional thoughts on this before I yell about things? No, I'm ready for you to yell about things. Okay. Uh, there are many sources for Norse mythology, and I will be the first to admit that Norse mythology is not my primary area of study. My background is primarily in Greek mythology with a subset of interest in Celtic mythology. So there you go. This is based on relatively recent research. And one of the texts that I use, because I love it very much, is the Dolaire's Book of Norse Myths. Those of you who oh. were Greek myth aficionados, uh, and I know there were many of us, will recognize Dolaire from their book of Greek mythology, which is where I first mm-hmm. got into Greek mm-hmm. myths as a kid. Well, they also have a book of Norse mythology. I will post some of these pictures along with this episode on our website, because I think it's important for you to see some of these images. So I'm going to start with just a brief overview of the nine worlds of Norse mythology. Ooh. There are nine Okay, of them. so what I'm seeing here... One, it looks a lot like the Everworld logo in particular, but there's like a big tree yeah. and then some circles that are distributed around the tree, mm-hmm. and some of them are below the tree. Yes. Oh, great. Tell me if I get this right. Yggdrasil? That wasn't right. <laughs> it's Yggdrasil. I tried so hard. So close. So, so close. That was real close. Yeah, so that's end. the tree. The tree is Yggdrasil. Um, this is encircled actually by the um, Jormungandr worm. In theory, mm. circles all this. Wow. But you'll see uh, on this, it, uh, in the realms, there are nine worlds in Norse mythology. Humans live on Midgard. That's us here. We're kind of mm-hmm. by the base of the tree. 
Asgard, the world of the gods, is kind of where the branches of the tree would be. There's also a world of the elves, Elfheim. And there's a world of the Vanir gods, Vanaheim. There's a world of fire. There's Dark Elfheim, which is the world of the gnomes. Or possibly dwarfs, I'm not quite sure. Jutenheim is the world of the giants and the trolls. And then down here, you'll see this is Hel and Niflheim. Now, things you may be asking yourself about that are, are those two different things, Hel and Niflheim? Maybe. Well, from from the pattern, it's home of the Nephils, right? Yes, uh, that, that is, <laughs> yes, good good home recognition of the, of the uh, yeah, pattern there. Um, so the way that kind of the hell story plays out is a little odd because, um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, she is the child of Loki, um, and Loki has... Basically, Loki has sex with a terrible, horrible, awful ogress, um, hag. And from her, he has three children. Um, The first... uh, I don't actually remember the order. I should have looked that up. Um, He has three kids. Uh, One of those kids is Hel. Um, The other two are... Is it Sleepnir? Hold on. We're just going to find that page because I lost it while I was showing you my picture. And it's pretty. And I want you to see how hell is described because it's one of the things I'm a yell about. <laughs> I'm really enjoying story time with Gray. This is story time with Gray. Uh, so his uh, the the children of Loki and the dreadful ogress. Um, one is a serpent. Um, that's Midgard serpent uh, or oh, wow. um, the Jormungandr worm, which we have whom we have already met. The other one is a wolf, Fenrir, whom we have also mm-hmm. already met. And the third child is Hel. She is shaped like a hag, but pale as death on one side, black as peat on the other. So she is interesting. half and interesting. half. And I'm going to show you this picture a little closer so you can see it. So in this one, she's, you can kind of see she's divided. She's this little girl here, right? And she's half black and half kind of pale. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, an inch. Perfect. I have I have turned oh, yeah. myself you off so I can't tell. Um, <laughs> no, that's good. So that's that's her in the middle there. Then there's Fenrir uh-huh. and the serpent. Now, in some translations, she is half blue and half pale, mm. as opposed to half black and half pale. In either way, the fact that her monstrous aspect seems to just be is a different color may speak. <laughs> To some underlying aspects of a very um, Scandinavian mythology. Do with that as you will. So Odin sees these three monsters and he believes they will bring disaster to the world. But because they're Loki's kids, he can't kill them. So he flings the serpent into the ocean. It sank and grew and grew until it lay in a circle around Midgard the earth with its fangs biting into its own tail. It was called the Midgard Serpent. Um, and uh, Fenris, the wolf, the third, was dragged to an island in the middle of a lake surrounded by a forest of iron trees, and he is chained there until Ragnarok. Okay, the hag, this is Hel, Odin sent deep underground to live on the doorstep of Niflheim and rule, rule over the dead. 
Her name was Hel, and her realm was named for her. Gravely, she welcomed all who had died of sickness or old age, but she did nothing to make her guests happy in her vast hall. The walls of the hall were a wickerwork of winding serpents. On the roof sat a soot-black cock who never crowed, but was silent as death. Pitfall, her doorstep was called. Sickbed was the name of her lair. Her knife was called hunger. Her platter, starvation. Okay. So a few things about that that I want to bring up. Now, again, this is just one, you know, storybook, child-friendly version of these myths. A couple important things about that. One, in theory, the realm was named after her. In practicality, what we think actually happened is that that's a later Christianization of the idea of hell. Mm -hmm. Like, Norse mythology didn't really have a hell the way that <clears throat> Christian mythology does. Um, and so that's kind of where that comes from. Um, Niflheim is actually, like, the... It is more like a hell, right? It's where murderers end up. And it's where the dragon Nidhogg lives, whom we are introduced to at the end of this book. So it's, she's got this- Is Nidhogg, sorry to interrupt, is Nidhogg a niffle? Um, <laughs> no, I actually think, I'm not sure about this, I'd have to look it up, but I think it's called Niflheim because it's the land of darkness. I think mm. Niflheim, I think it means darkness. I'm not sure that that's true. Um, it is the world of the dead, and it's where Nidhogg lives, and I would have to look up more details. Please carry on. My question is very impertinent. No, it was a very good <laughs> question. Um, mist, home of the mist, is where that mm. is. Mm -hmm. So um, the thing about hell that I, I kind of want to talk about is the sexualization of hell in this book is really, really weird and pretty f***ed up in a lot of ways. Yes. Because that is a very different take on... We, we've talked about this before in this series, in fact, about the different ways in which kind of witch women, um, women who are also witches, are portrayed. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the kind of sexual being, right? Who's going to sap your vigor. And that's what hell... Mm -hmm. She falls into that category. That's f***ing weird, you guys. She's like a super Senna. She's like, whatever <laughs> whammy Senna has, she doesn't even have to, like, expressly touch you. Yes. And in fact, I'm pretty sure that they are making that comparison very deliberately. There's actually a part where they talk about the power of hell and the power of Senna, like, back to back in a way that I think makes it pretty clear that the two of them are meant to be... Um, so uh, it's basically Hell puts a like big whammy of the style that Senna does on on the lads. It's weird to me that she's made so, sexual. It's weird to me that she's made evil. And also the description of Hell in this book is completely out of the imagination of Apple Grant. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is pretty goddamn disturbing. In my and humble indicative. opinion, um, and it's and it's weird. So I, I have a lot of kind of thoughts about how that works. Eventually, they they get to Nidhogg, and that is the dragon. It's a different kind of dragon than Smaug. So like him <laughs> sitting on a bunch of gold. I'm not completely sure that's true. Um, and then the other thing about the Norse mythology I wanted to bring up is there's only one sleep near. He's another child of Loki. 
he's Hal's brother, <laughs> and it's weird that there's a bunch of them, and that her eunuchs are riding him around the countryside. I don't know what's going on with that. I feel like this is another one of those places where Apple Grant's not trying to be... Um, accurate? Accurate. They're Ooh. not trying to, you know, deliberately put in these mythologies. And I want them to. This is a me problem, yeah. not a them problem. They are doing something different. But if you're going to rely so heavily on world mythologies, I want them to be vaguely accurate, not least because they are weird enough without you adding yeah. your freakish body horror take on it and messing up all the mythology. Thus ends my Apple Grant about uh, <laughs> Hell and the Norse mythology. At some point during this recording session, please may I take another five minutes to talk about the Irish mythology in here because yes. it hurt my feelings and I want to talk about it, but I've talked enough for now. Well, I oh, also no. I want to rant more about Hell, so I think we should finish the Hell rant. But... Great. I'm just concerned that we're going to make you read the next book, which is probably oh, going to be a no. knife. Yeah, I bet the next book is Irish. Irish heart. Yeah, I'm going to yell about it now so that I'll get all those feelings out. And then when I read it, maybe it won't be so bad. Jenny, did you have more feelings about hell? I I have more ranting about hell. Okay, so I am not well-versed in Norse mythology. So I got to this thing where it's like, okay, oh, we finally have a female, like we have a goddess. And she has a male harem that she, like, guarded by eunuchs. Okay, well... It's weird that Apple Grant chose this god, but they're probably just working with the material that they were given. So I, I Googled Hal and was like reading all the, like the Wikipedia article where it's like talks about the mentions of Hell and all the different sources. And I was like, nope, this is not what Hell is like. This whole town where I was like, this must be an exaggeration of something, you know, like Hell was like this, but it grew up into this whole town. No, none of it's in the mythology. So what we have here is they're like, they finally, they finally have a female deity. It is still all about men. This goddess is obsessed with men. She has this whole town full of men. She sees other women as rivals. She is all just about having sex with men. That's the only thing she's about. And um, like you were saying, great, like she is also a foil to Senna. I mean, not really a foil, kind of just... Maybe, well, maybe, sure. Uh, she's kind of a foil to Senna. <laughs> and it is that thing that Apple Grant does where if there are women, they have to exist in relation to each other because otherwise, how could we possibly deal with more than one woman? It would be like having, like, you'd be like having two of the same character. So we have to contrast them or connect them in some way. So you have April and Senna who are opposites, and then Hell, who is like a, a Senna writ large. And I hadn't even realized how much Senna's power is all about controlling men. That hadn't really occurred to me. It is horrible that they put in this quote-unquote powerful woman, she has powers, but they're all about men! That women don't get to exist for themselves in this narrative. Women are a huge part of world mythology, but not for Apple Grant. That's my rant. Well said. Yeah, 100% it's a agree. really good rant and very accurate. And I liked it a lot. And it, it, it's so true. And, and we see the way that Senna affects Jaleel, for example, 
Which, mm-hmm. in theory, like, there's no reason for that to be sort of sexualized in any way because just because it is for David. Like, mm-hmm. David's under her sway because because it is implied strongly. He just really wants to bang her. But yeah. Jaleel doesn't seem to have that same attraction to her. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they had to be like, okay, well, how else could she control him? I know. We'll give him a mental illness, a disability, and she'll cure it as long as she has power over him. It's not great. <laughs> I have yes, a question. <laughs> do you think Jaleel was planned to have this from the beginning? Or do you think they made it up by the time they got to his book? I think they might have made it up after the beginning. It doesn't feel... Okay, so... I... I can't decide if it's worse for them to have made it up for book four or to have planned out ahead of time that they would have a character with a disability that would affect his life, but they would write it out of the main plot of the book because they didn't want to have to deal with it. Like, I can't decide which of those is worse. Yeah, They're both so quite bad. That's my that's my thought is that... Either they're like, okay, we'll give him a disability, but we don't want it to interfere with the story, so it just doesn't happen mm-hmm. in Everworld, mm-hmm. and it's not part of him. I, there is some weird yeah. ableist stuff about, like, it's just a demon inside me controlling me. It's not part of who I really am. When I'm like, don't like this. So I started this book, I was like, the first line is like, I washed my hands, and I was like, oh, he has OCD. So first of all, be more creative with your character's compulsions. Hand washing is a common one, but like by by no means the only compulsion that someone would have with OCD. Like you got to do the heavy hit, the heaviest hitter. Like okay, whatever. And I so I was started this out, and I was like a little annoyed by this, and also a little mystified by this. Like okay, I don't feel like we've seen. I don't know. I'm I'm not an expert on OCD, and I know that it is like a disorder that is not completely connected to like personality traits, but it is also an anxiety disorder. And like, we hadn't really seen Chalil being anxious in any way I could really recognize. Um, And so I was like, this is kind of weird, but like, okay, actually I'm really interested. Like the idea of a character, a person with OCD, like going to a fantasy world and then being in all these situations that they can't control with like where they can't fulfill their compulsions. Like maybe their compulsions take new forms in this new world where like, you know, they have to knock six times on the left flank of their horse or whatever, you know, like it, that sounds really interesting to me. And then I got to the part where it's like, but it doesn't exist in Everworld. And I was like, what the crap? Why did you even put this in? Like, why? What? And I, I feel like it's like his, it's going to be his temptation. Like, does he want to like stay in our world so he doesn't have to deal with this thing? And like, I don't know. I don't so, like it. <clears throat> no, but it, it's fascinating. Meg, I love your point that it's like, they need a way for Senna to control him. But like, I had a, a different, but I think equally cynical and stupid take, <laughs> which is that it's like, isn't it ironic that the really rational character oh, has yes. a disability that makes him irrational and he has to do things, even though, you know, like, and, like, I think that it's, it's like, I read it as just, like, lazy juxtaposition of that kind. Hmm. And then hmm. their their way out of it is, like, oh, but it doesn't affect him in, like, most of the story. But it's, like... Which doesn't make any... I mean, granted, Everworld magic. Like, I guess magic doesn't make sense inherently. But, like, it's, like, part of how his 
brain works why wouldn't it be an effect like is it like is is mental illness incompatible with magic like what what is this uh, so mental illness was never categorized in any world myth ever. Therefore, it can't exist in every world. <laughs> oh, people still believe it in an our world, so it never traveled to ever world. It just seems really weird and ineptly handled. I, like, I'm not surprised. Like, I wouldn't expect them to be able to handle OCD very well. well they but... also, I mean, <laughs> if you've listened to Animorphology, you will have heard <laughs> us rant about this as a blind spot that Apple Grant has numerous times. Uh, but I think that even outside of the OCD thing, as like a alleged character trait for Jaleel, they do this whole thing where like the um, <laughs> hell is not only like an antagonist to the characters and like a disgusting being and like a uh reductive like temptress cliche she is also like uh legit psycho quote unquote right like the textbook definition of a paranoid schizophrenic uh they said to which i was like what is it's not right so they're saying what textbook are you reading right not only not not only she's the only female god but she's like okay but like all of the things you know the like evil things that gods do or whatever hell in particular is like being crazy about it in a way that is again not surprising but like so disappointingly like like it's disappointingly cliched and offensive it's like yeah, at least in Animorphs when they were like calling people nuts and like portraying mental health issues as like only existing as like hallucinations and delusions and stuff. At least they weren't like magnifying that into the form of like a like evil god and being like, "See that? That's what mental illness is." Like this is just so many times worse than what we've seen from them before. And the uh, the parallel between Senna and Hal is also a ridiculous one to make because, like, the when Jaleel gets Senna to admit that she's actually power hungry because it's the only way that she has to survive, like, that's like an I feel like Senna is like I'm reluctantly coming around to her being like an interesting kind of somewhere between an antihero and an antagonist in her relationship to the rest of the group, like. There there could be an interesting direction to go with her character, but the fact that they're like, oh, Sen is just evil and power mad like hell. You know, like, better watch out for her and her whammies. Like, it's just not that interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I feel like there's definitely a distaste for wanting power in a woman there. Because, like, yeah. Jaleel, yeah. you're the, like, logical one. Of course Senna should want power. Like, you should all want power. That's what you should all want so you can survive. That's just logical. That's rational. Come on. So... The going to the scene in real world that takes place a few months before the book happens, Senna approaches Jaleel in um, a classroom while he's washing his hands. From the way that scene is written, it seems like she's trying to decide if she wants Jaleel for her champion. So now she's thought about recruiting Jaleel. She recruited Christopher for a while, and now she settled on David. What exactly... Does Senna want from a champion? Right? Like, what's her criteria and why did both Jaleel and Christopher, like, fail the test? And yet she brought them anyway, so... They I think that was an accident failed? still. 
Right. Ooh, I think okay. I think That's it might have been yeah, she might not have been totally in control. I do hope like I would much rather have it be an accident than have it be like Jaleel is the great 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 grandson of Thor or something. <laughs> like I hope we don't find out there's some prophecy that involves these four. Kids oh, now there's a prophecy. Okay. Hang on. Senna is recruiting a champion. Why is she looking at guys her own age? Like of course, it's she like, needs this Dwayne is the Rock Johnson. No, she needs <laughs> '90s Chicago Bulls Michael Jordan. That's obviously the why best did, champion. Great question. Why didn't she go after Michael Jordan? Why didn't she go after like? Why is she going after these high school guys with like no training in combat? Like she has magical whammies. Wait, wait, wait! wait. I can see the movie Everworld, now. but with Senna and four A-list celebrities from the '90s <laughs> would be. Amazing. That okay. would be amazing. Be Which so of the this. friends would she take? Oh, um, none of them. They're not, no, they're, they'd be useless. I, I, I think Michael Jordan, yes. Okay. Brendan Fraser. Mm. That's a good one. Lucy Lawless. Oh, the, the yes. Apple Grants would love to write about Lucy Lawless. They absolutely they 100% would. And Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> Okay, oh. I want to go on this dream team. <laughs> I, I feel like we're, we want the characters, not the uh, actors in some of these cases. Sarah Michelle Gellar's stunt double. Yes! There, there you go. <laughs> oh, goodness. Who is married to one of the stunt coordinators on Buffy. Wow. Well, that's I'm lovely. 80% sure. Oh, I yeah. She was... <laughs> they were on an episode okay. of Buffering. So wait, oh, cool. this is this is Faith's, a little bit. It might have been Faith's double. I'm sorry, I'll need to check those facts. That's they, awesome. They came onto Buffering and they did an interview, and it was very cute. That's super cute. This is circling back to something that we've been talking about, but I feel like their world building is, um, they're following the rule of cool, which I associate yes. with like if you're playing a role playing game your Dungeons and Dragons and someone's like I want to do something and you're like is there a rule for that I don't know but it sounds cool so let's just let's just go with it right I feel like for whatever Apple Grant's definition of cool is that is their complete approach to (laughs) mythology and world building they're just like wouldn't it be awesome if she was half dead and had like Mm -hmm, a town full mm -hmm. of eunuchs and then like all this other stuff and like that I I I sort of would appreciate like that's kind of my approach to world building for the purpose of like playing a role-playing game is like Mm -hmm. i'll read about like i might read about hell the norse god and be like oh there's some interesting elements it's a bad guy that has two different halves and maybe the two different halves have different powers or stats or something and there could be kind of like a puzzle in that battle and like Uh what kind of cool lair would there be how about some skeletons everyone likes fighting skeletons you need some like minions in the battle okay great now like i it's 20 minutes before the game starts i have enough to get people through it let's go let's play but like totally that, their approach. That is not I would not write that down <laughs> and then call it a book for like a YA audience, oh. right? Like that's like Ooh, we're going to we're going to kill hell in a role playing game and then move on and no one's going to remember that that ever happened. Ted, like, I think so I, Oh, you go. You finish. No, I was just going to say so like I think that my the stuff that I like about it is just like yeah, like I would run this in a D&D session, but like I think like and I don't really expect more f- from them at this point. Stop I should me. though, right? Like I should yeah. expect more. 
Well, Animorphs is so good. Um, what were you going to say, Meg? Well, I think it's really interesting that you invoke the idea of rule of cool because a lot of their really amazing world building stuff is just observed by the characters, but doesn't Ooh. actually lend to any of the storytelling. So like we had a moment where the sword does work on her living half. Did it actually work on her living half or? Yeah, no, I think it did. It yes. did. Yeah. Um, She's vulnerable to the sword. But generally, like the stuff they observe about the town and the stuff that we just see walking through, it's stuff, and it's exactly what all of the books have been doing, is we wander around and we see cool things, and sometimes cool things happen to us, but there's there needs to be like one more step where they take what they know and they take what they see and they synthesize it into a solution for their problems or a solution to drive the plot forward. Well, for that, there would need to be a plot. And that's like the most... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that's the most confounding thing for mm-hmm. me because, like, the premise of Animorphs is perfect. Like, it is a brilliant premise that, like, creates this ongoing conflict where there are clear goals and, like, you know, Animorphs as a series is not perfect, but, like, that premise... But, like, that premise is great, and it gets them into the action right away. The first Animorphs book, incredibly effective. This, they still, we said this in the summary and in, like, our takes, but, like, I feel like it's worth saying again, they still don't really have a goal for themselves. Like, the back covers keep being, like, will they ever find Senna? Like, yes, they find Senna, like, every book. They hang out with Senna. Senna maybe disappears, but that doesn't really make a difference. She's not going to help them anyway. That is not their goal. They sort of had a goal at the end of the last book where they were going to change Everworld in some unspecified way to, like, make it so that, like, Everworld wouldn't want to invade our world. But they dropped that? I think Everworld would be much more effective as a television series than a book series. Because it's... It's so strong in their visual descriptions and, like, what the kids are going through. But the internal Mm -hmm. lives and thoughts of the characters are the things that we are constantly bumping on as being disinteresting to us. Um, And that that thought just struck me that, like, this is a ton of stuff in it. I would love to see in, like, an action sequence moving around. Mm. But it's very frustrating for me to be in the heads of these characters who don't have... Don't really have a clear goal. discernible goals and challenges and stuff. And I do think some, as you were saying about the world building, one thing that occurred to me is an issue I have with the world building is that it is inconsistent and that some of the coolest aspects of it are mentioned briefly and never discussed mm. or explained in full. For example, while they're in um, chatting with Hell, one of the things that she says is um, she's she's giving the like going through and giving instructions to all of her people, and um, one of the thing is um, a question about the border with Hades, and she says, "No, I will not reinforce the border with Hades. Hades is not our problem. It is Araman we must attack. He is weak. We can seize his domain as easily as we as we did Ereshkigal's." Persians are no match for my Vikings. And I was like, tell me everything about that conflict. That's f***ing awesome. Exactly. Ah! And then nothing Okay, else. but 
I have thoughts on that. Sorry, it's a little bit of a tangent from your main point, which is that they keep, like, dropping... Yeah, like, that's a cool... That is a very cool conflict. This is a Viking goddess of death in this book who is taking over all of the other realms of death by attacking and destroying the gods of death from other cultures, including the Persians and the Greeks and the... Yeah, like, this is the kind of conflict Sumerians. that could have arisen from a bunch of gods all in the same world mm-hmm. without any aliens. Right. Okay, I, I, I want to take us on a tangent now to sing the praises of something that does this, does everything that Apple <laughs> Grant wants to do, but does it way, way, way better. The comic series The Wicked and the Divine, mm. which um, has, has was like a going concern in like the, the early 2010s, I think, for like six or seven years or so. Um, but it's ba- the premise is basically uh, gods as pop stars. So it's like mm. every 90 years, a selection of gods are all reincarnated in whatever the current popular form is. So in the year, you know, 2010 or whatever, it was as pop stars. And so nice. it has all of the like fun, nerdy mythology stuff. It has all of the like rule of cool, like wouldn't it be awesome if this God was also like Kanye West and this God was also Taylor Swift. Like, like it does all of that stuff, but it like, it takes its subject matter seriously and it doesn't, it doesn't get everything right, but it like, it's at least like putting in like a, a good faith effort to, to do all of that stuff in a way that serves storytelling. And there are, 12 gods it's a pretty even mix of uh there's there's a pretty good representation so it's totally fine to have a few of the female gods be like power hungry temptress type characters because there are like there's at least some there's like some diversity inherent to the structure Mm -hmm. so like the thing that you were saying jenny about like oh finally we get a female god and she's like the worst stupidest most boring misogynist cliche it's Uh like uh, like how many books is it going to be before we get another one, right? Like, is it going to be book seven, book nine? Is this the only female <laughs> goddess? Like, is this the only goddess we're going to get, right? Like, it's what a terrible choice in terms of your subject matter. Mm-hmm. Can I rant from Gray's, Gray, the thing that Gray quoted, in a different direction? I... The, this maybe this is a petty point maybe maybe it is not so i looked up those gods that she mentions i looked up eresh kigal who is the mesopotamian goddess of the underworld cool great makes sense uh, i looked them up because i was like oh what other mythologies exist here that like maybe weren't mentioned in like merlin's speech like oh there's mesopotamian stuff cool and then i looked up Ahriman, who is the sort of the adversary in zoroastrianism and i was like hang on Zoroastrianism is a current religion. They, why, why is, why is that God in ever, like, are we going to get the Christian God? Because I bet we're not. We're going to get the God of other religions that they don't think are important enough to remember that they still exist. Mm -hmm. I think this would be a pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? My brain's saying confrontational, but, um, so... (laughs) I controversial? Believe, controversial. Thank you. I'm like confrontational. <laughs> I feel that a more interesting take would be um what if the Christian god as viewed by the crusaders was the version that was Ooh. in Everworld and that was that the one that was great. trying to take over. 
So I would like Sounds to realize awesome. Cottonor with that. That's not what this book is. But <laughs> no. So when we rewind it with Michael Let's Jordan and that. Brendan Fraser and Lucy Laws and <laughs> and Sarah Michelle Geller, stunt double. Stunt double. <laughs> I love that. It's like we tried to we we're trying to get Buffy, but we got her stunt double because she's way cooler than Sarah Michelle Geller. Darn it. Because listen, religion that would be such a good twist. Mythologies. Yeah. So, uh, like, religions, beliefs, and mythologies do all evolve over time. And I mm-hmm. think it would be really interesting if Everworld only has, maybe this is, an accurate version of hell, but it was only really, like, written about from yeah. this time period to this mm. time period. And so, like, just a snapshot or a version of that deity is what was brought over. But, like, Scholastic is never publishing a series where Christian God is the, the big bad, like... What a good premise. Oh, what a but what a subtle take it could be on the way that we sort of create idols of our of our like beliefs. Mm-hmm. That like it's not yeah, even yeah, a claim yeah. about the reality of the Christian God or not. Just well, that like they believed in this version that was like smaller and like in line with exactly what they wanted it to be. I think it would be very Philip Pullman. <laughs> and then they could <laughs> and, try and, and yeah. do their and execution could, and reception. They could try and do their minstrel show. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming Viking lords, and a crusader you speak stands of up Ka-Nor. and is like, "How dare you!" <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you speak of Kaanor, I love it. Uh, this th- that's great. We've had a, a few good like fanfics. Jenny, do you want to just write the rest of Everworld for us? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> a terrible premise. I don't have. I don't know where I would go with this one. They don't have a purpose. Listen, remember in our first episode where I'm like, four is a horrible number of characters, but there's four of us? You called it, yeah. yeah. I feel like no. we should go to Everworld. I would like to be Christopher. <laughs> That's actually funny. Um, 100% no. I will not go to Everworld. It sounds awful. Goodness. Okay. Let's... Do we want do we want to try and talk about some good things before we rant again? I, I have yeah, I have some rants yeah. about Jaleel's character. I have a good thing. But let's oh good things. Great. I have a good thing. Um so in the in the realm of, you know, Apple Grant did the basic minimum of research for this book, one of the things that they found while they were doing the absolute minimum research available um is absolute. <laughs> Um, is something I was like, this sounds fake. And then it turns out it wasn't. So I'm glad I looked it up. Um, Jaleel is uh, arguing with Senna about the whether magic exists and whether there are rules in Everworld, which is something he's very concerned with. He wants to know if there is what he calls software for Everworld. Everworld exists. There must be rules that control it, even if they are not the same rules that control our world. And so, for example, um, humans lived for for a million years thinking the sun went around the earth, not knowing what caused diseases, not knowing why the wind blew or the rain fell. They called it all magic. Used to be 99% of everything was magic. Now we know. And Senna mockingly says, ah, so you'll be the first scientist in Everworld. And he says, you know, for like a thousand years, people, educated people, argued over whether light came from the source or from the eye itself. They thought maybe somehow the light was projected out of the eye and lit up the world around them. So then one guy said, hey, look up at the sun. 
They looked up at the sun. The sun hurt their eyes. And all at once, no one doubted that light came to the eye, not from the eye. Centuries of not knowing till one guy came up with an experiment, then understanding truth. Fine. So I was like, that seems fake. <laughs> That's like all these dis- discussions of like Columbus thought the world was round and everyone else thought the world was flat, which isn't true. Everyone knew the world was round. Uh, this must also be false. Let me see if I can find it out. And it turns out this is actually true. It's called the emission theory. Um, and it is about how we see and specifically how light works. And of course, it has now been majorly superseded by like the theory of relativity, for example. Um, and But like Newton thought that he thought light was what he called corpuscules that are being thrown Mm. off by by bodies at the speed of c which now means something else but that was his like newtonian theory of light true it does bounce off it bounces off but he thought the light was coming out of those things (laughs) so like not really Yeah, yeah um and this was for thousands of years in um like even greek in the sort of greek times they all thought this was a thing. There was like a whole bit where Plato believed this, which is like, of course he did. That guy was an idiot. Um, so anyway, I just thought it was like really interesting that the emission theory of um, of light, of vision, sorry, is um, part of it. So Empedocles thought this was part of it. Uh, he believed Aphrodite made the human eye out of the four elements, and she lit the fire in the eye, which shone out from the eye, making sight possible. Whoa. Uh, and then he realized that that was real dumb, because if that was true, you could see during the night and also yeah. during the day. Yeah. So he said, oh, actually, it must be an interaction between rays from the eyes and rays from a source like the sun. That'll <laughs> solve that. Uh, Plato believed it. Euclid believed it. Um... And, oh no, Euclid did not believe it. He questioned it because then how can you see the stars immediately if you close your eyes and open them at night? Anyway, it went on for ages. Mm. Um, and the one of the modern, one of the like pieces of evidence for it, which I thought was really funny, is cats' eyes can be seen in the darkness. <gasps> and therefore, you must be able to see by the light coming out of your eyes, bouncing off the cat's eyes, that's how you see their eyes in the dark. Again, this is, like, so dumb, and the fact that it persisted for (laughs) thousands of years is, like, ridiculous. Um, I'm sorry, Newton actually, I said earlier, Newton did not believe that it was light coming out of the eyes. He thought it was light that entered from the eyes, the corpuscules that came off the objects. So I'm looking at this microphone, Bits of the microphone are coming off the microphone and going into my eyes, and that's how I see the <laughs> microphone. Anyway, I think it's like... Ah, ah, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> Don't worry, you have glasses. Yeah, the glasses really help. Anyway, I thought that was wait, inter- wait, like an interesting... Wait, but how can you see through your glasses? <laughs> I looked at an eye that block the corpuscules? And glasses are made of special material that let corpuscles through, but in safe form. And bigger, so Your I can see them more. Than ours, yeah. Which is why it's, it's right. very thin glass, them. so uh, corpuscules can pass through them more easily. That's right. Anyway, I thought it was really yeah, interesting our eyes that... eyes are too sensitive yeah. to corpuscules, so that's why the image is distorted. I, I also liked, um, along the same lines, when they are walking with Senna and they're all completely exhausted... <clears throat> after the battle with the Hetwan and the Hetwan monster and the skeletons and stuff. And they find, is it a, a water spring 
Um, oh, yeah. And Senna drinks from it because they're like, we'll make Senna drink it first, you know, to make sure it's safe. And then before the, anyone else goes to drink it, she's just like, Persephone. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, man, Persephone <laughs> ate stuff in the underworld and they couldn't leave. So we don't know how anything works. So, ugh. okay, I guess we won't drink. And Senna's like, ha, ha, ha. I gotcha. I loved that. That was a great use of like high schooler mythology. Yeah. And a very funny character moment. So, Gray, the thing that you read about Jaleel being like, maybe I could figure out this world. Like, I'm actually a little bit like, he should have gotten there within like the first two hours of being in Everworld. Like, part of part of these books is that like the kids have to be like, this makes no sense. It is impossible because they are the reader perspective on this world. So they have to like acknowledge how by the rules of our real world, this is all completely ridiculous mm-hmm. and wouldn't happen. Um, so that has to be a recurring element. But I think, like, I could so get behind a version of Jaleel who shows up in Everworld and is like, that's not possible, but it's happening. Okay, it's possible because I am logical like I claim to be. And, like, therefore I recognize, like, this world has completely different rules. Let's figure them out. And, like, is kind of, like, that's excited about that or, like, frustrated like, alternatively, because, like, probably it's hard to do good experimentation and, like, the rules are really hard to figure out. But, like, I I kind of want him to get to this place where he wants to be the first scientist in Everworld. Like, just, like, at the beginning of book one. Come on. Um, I think we have proof here that Senna is a terrible student because she's like, <laughs> I met the Kuhatch and they had, like, some human book. And I'm like, Senna, <laughs> that's the textbook you all have. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good point I very good that. point but i, I, I agree with you jenny that we, me and her teachers we keep getting like these tiny seeds of potential character goals or growth uh-huh and i i feel like they're doing a thing where they're trying to set up each kid here in cycle one and we'll actually see character growth in their two books that's a helpful prediction We'll see some character <laughs> progression, growth, growth, or goals in our, our second set of four books. Um, but it's really frustrating that we're four books in and we're still just getting set up and exposition and exploration without a determinate path. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very annoying. Yeah. And also, I feel like Jaleel in particular, they've really like, I don't know kneecapped him is that a thing people still say that like he had like he has so much potential to be a really interesting character like the OCD thing could have been fascinating if he was like trying to navigate this world and like navigate this um mental illness and if he um were actually had the scientist's disposition towards everything where he wasn't like well this just isn't possible or like you know, objecting to stuff, but actually curious about it. That could have been so interesting. And instead, he is just not either of those things. I feel like they've just sort of reduced him to a bit of a side character in the previous three books. In this book, like, we got to see more of him, but it turns out he's way worse than we than we thought he was. We haven't even talked about, like, the many, many terrible things he says in the first, like, two chapters of this book. Shall we? Like, I think we should. I think we should talk about that. Because, I, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you guys think of uh, Jaleel's friend April, the shrill vegetarian? 
who they once again put her in charge because the men can't be trusted. But, but only temporarily. Only, only for this very temporary space. And I'm like, okay, there hasn't been anyone who has influenced April so far in Everworld. <laughs> you should make her in charge all of the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, also, this is not about how terrible Jalil is, but, like, just how heteronormative is that city? Like, just good heavens. Yeah, so there was, like, two pages of, like, the beginning of this book where Jalil just said, like, thing after thing after thing, and I was, like, I was reading the book before Ted, and I was, like, making, like, annoyed noises at it, and he was like, what? And I read him a couple passages, he was like, oh, Jalil's a Nazi, great. (laughs) And, like, that that turned out to not, you know, not be exactly borne out in the rest of the book, but like, or at least not reinforced. But um, yeah, so they're talking about this town that they went to where they were being minstrels. And, and Jalil describes it as stunted, gnarled, scabby, scruffy examples of what happens when chromosomes go sour. WTF, Jalil. Yeah. WTE. Not WTE. <laughs> WTF. Like, or it's poverty? Or these people have no resources because they're in this world where these gods are, like, well, messing with everything? So, like, um, I did say that, oh, Jaleel's a Nazi, based on that thing out of context. But I, <laughs> I do want to give what I think, after having read it, my take is that this is Jaleel uh, diagnosing, or... It's Jaleel and Applegrant diagnosing this, these people as horribly inbred because this is like where their one attention to detail in like the reality of Everworld is having existed for a thousand years, mm-hmm. but these people have not left or anything. So like, I, I didn't, the, he, he mentions it a couple of times. I don't buy the evolutionary psychology theory that Jaleel espouses <laughs> that the girl in the village has an <laughs> evolutionary imperative to find new DNA. Um, but without coming out and saying incest, 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 I think that's the take here. And <laughs> okay. not like poor people have inferior genes. But against well. that, against that, I will say that every time Jaleel has very rightly batted down one of Christopher's racist comments, it has been with something classist. Mm. Like, he, yeah. it has yeah. always been about, like, poor that's white a really, trash. That's a really good point. Yeah. Um, so I think he has, like, this, like, economic elitism that is... Uh, is really unaddressed in the books. It's just part of his character that, mm-hmm. like, I don't think the authors noticed. Yeah, I think that's very true. But but also, the guy in the town literally sleeps with all the farm animals in his bed, right? Like, that wasn't a joke, right? That was an observation of what life is like yeah, in this I mean, Yeah, I mean, it's probably they sleep with the farm animals inside the house where it's right. warm because they only have, like, one building. Because they watched A Knight's Tale, and there's a line about that. For example, <laughs> I haven't seen that. What? Wait, is this just like, is this? Sorry. No, I want to ask, and maybe. <laughs> should, should I see this? <laughs> Jenny, you have to watch oh. Night's Tale yesterday. We have to watch it together. <laughs> Jenny. Listen, our reward for finishing Everworld should be we have a okay. watch party and watch Great. Night's Tale. <laughs> have you seen this? Um, yes. Okay, all right. He does, the, you don't seem as outraged as they the, do. No, I, I'm still, sorry, I'm still stuck on the thing. <laughs> do people, like, sleep with their, their cow in their bed? Am like, I, like, cows, an ignorant elitist like, for not knowing this? Chickens no, they, and, and pigs and stuff, like, they're, you, they will die if they're outside, outside, right? in the winter, because, you know, if you've got ten foot of snow... You only have one building. It's not like they have barns, right? So you have one building, everybody 
all the family, all all the chickens. I guess so. So maybe 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 it's me and Jaleel imposing our worldview here, <laughs> but like. It sounded like there. it wasn't a one-room... I wasn't reading it as a one-room home. I was reading it as they sleep... I don't know. Maybe it was they're so poor that they only have one room, and of course you bring the animals inside during the night. Mm-hmm. But the sentence was like, in his bed are like all of his, you know, wives, daughters, and farm animals, which was... Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very, like, 20th century America view on privacy, which was not really, like... Like, you, no one had their own bed in, like, most of history. Like, you would all kind of sleep in a big room. Even, like, a castle, everyone would kind of all sleep in, like, the big room. Also unaddressed, are these talking farm animals? <laughs> what a great question. You know what is also unaddressed? So they, they're trying to kill this pig, and then the pig is, like, you know, runs them down. And is like, if you give me those apples, I'll, you know. So the pig is a talking pig. The Jaleel, in Jaleel's mind, this is, oh, yeah, that time we were almost killed by a murderous pig. Like, no, no, no. That time you almost killed a talking pig, and it defended itself, then did not hurt you, and walked away. That is a great point. Jaleel, buddy. I feel like we had a couple injury moments in this book that were either hand-waved or not mentioned later. So, like, there was a spray of blood when the pig charged one of the boys. Was it... Did the pig get hurt or did the boy get hurt? And then later on, Jaleel gets dropped and he's pretty sure he's broken his leg, but then he's fine. So, we have some very, very serious injuries (laughs) at the end of this book. I would like to keep an eye out in the next book. Because we mentioned that, like, everybody's had five concussions and they're all fine. Yeah. I would wonder if, are they getting reset? Like, the, how the morphs reset you? I would be interested to see if their bodies are getting slightly reset to the original state they come into Everworld. Because oh, we've like had when they so sleep many, like, cuts, reverge. bruises, scrapes, Go into a different yeah. mythology remember, verse. Remember when Jaleel had that, like, cut under his eye? Where, like, you could see the white fat spilling. Like, it was really gruesome. And well, he then, didn't mention it once in this And then book. he just, yeah. I guess he healed. It hasn't been that long. And they have terrible hygiene. Like, why was yeah. everything not infected? So either the stuff gets healed and they don't notice because everyone's yeah. brains are a little wacky being transported from, like, the their memories are not, like, basically, there's something weird going on with their physiology. And it's either... We're not keeping good continuity, or two, it is plot relevant <laughs> that we're getting hurt, but then we forget about it and the wounds go away. It's definitely the first one. I think one that's of giving those. them too much. It's <laughs> giving them too much credit. Like I, I like this theory that the wounds go away a little bit, but I don't trust them. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, can we can we complain about the whole like where on earth the Unix city came from? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because I, I, this was, this was totally, totally mind-boggling to me that it was not from mythology because, like, why? What are they, what are they even doing here? It was the same thing that I had. I was like, oh, clearly they're eunuchs. Like, this is pretty obvious. Like, what, but like, where is this going? Like, are they even going to try to address it? But it just comes off as this, like, weird sort of, like, like, moral panicky type thing about these like manly men with high voices who aren't quote unquote Mm -hmm. real men anymore and it's like the Jaleel at one point after hell 
reveals that she's coming to take these men away and then, you know, castrate them or whatever, he thinks, what else is guarded by eunuchs other than a harem? I'm just like, really? <laughs> like, like of all of the things that, like, this is the the hard and fast rule that you think that every world is going to adhere to, or you shouldn't have been surprised that this was the situation. Like, like where is the where is the reverse harem thing coming from? Where like, <laughs> like all these boys are like scared and maybe a little titillated by this like beautiful and super gross woman taking them off to her lair to have their way with her. Like, what is this? teen boy fantasy coming from it's so <laughs> weird to me uh, is it like is there any reference other than apple grant's mind also ted i know it's usually your job to be on boner watch but i definitely spotted some <laughs> Ooh, go on Ooh. pretty much anytime said. hell touched jaleel and he became overcome with a very strong physical response yeah 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 and i'm like so there it is <laughs> the weird thing is that Eunuchs are, I don't know how much this is actually historical. It probably is in some context. It's probably overblown in pop culture. But the idea is that they guard harems of women and they're not going to impregnate the women. So if like the, whoever has this harem, like if one of the women gets pregnant, then he knows it's his child because like the eunuchs obviously didn't impregnate this woman. So that's why eunuchs would be guarding a harem. When you have a harem of men... Why the heck would you need eunuchs to guard it? It actually makes more sense to have, like, just men who aren't eunuchs guarding it because they would be more susceptible to Hell's influence and therefore want to do her bidding. Yes. Because, like, it seems like Hell can, like, turn on and off this thing where she just, like, wipes your mind of everything but lust. So she could have extremely loyal, like, not physiologically altered men guarding her other men. That would make more sense than eunuchs. Maybe it's like Senna, and her power only works through immediate proximity and touch. But also, I agree with you, and there should be a bunch of women warriors guarding the harem. Interesting. Well, she doesn't know, because she doesn't want competition. That's true. But, like, uncastrated men aren't going to give her competition, unless what she's really afraid of is that all of these men are gay. Um, In which case, they would just have sex with each other in the city anyway. Uh, I it, doesn't, would, it doesn't make any sense. Listen, I was really, I think the way that this was dealt with in the book was really weird, out of left field, and super uncomfortable. So I would like to plug again on this podcast, uh, Pop Culture Detective. Uh, it's mm. a YouTube series uh, written and run by Jonathan McIntosh, McIntosh, sorry, Jonathan, I'm not sure how to go about your last name. <clears throat> um, but he writes about... At the, at the base bit, he writes about media tropes that harm men. And mm, he has this incredible mm-hmm. two-parter about how the sexual assault of men is played for laughs or, like, played mm-hmm. for side gags, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I would recommend everybody go to YouTube, look up Pop Culture Detective. He just posted a we'll really good it. one recently about how droids in Star Wars are treated. It's, it's mm. great. Anyway, mm. so Jonathan's doing the good work. And he's putting a lot of great thoughts in. Yeah. I'm excited. Oh, my gosh. Jaleel is not. Yeah. Uh, I'm. He's working on this other video. I'll cut this out in the edit. But he's working on this video right now uh-huh. about why are so many of our board games about colonization? 
mm. like Settlers of Catan that's, and like Inca Gold Rush and like all that sort of stuff. And it's really good. That's anyway, a deep well. That's support, a deep well. <laughs> I support him on Patreon and he's yeah. awesome. All right. So anyway. Jaleel Wait. is Jaleel is not doing the good work of not undermining men. He at one point in addition to like his like calling April shrill and the extensive commentary on the eunuch's voices, at one point David pursed his lips, a strangely feminine expression of disapproval. Way to police your fellow men's like body language, Shalia. Like what why? 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 I wanna jump in with another recommendation. So if you are interested in a fun historical AU about a reverse harem situation. I will recommend Ooku the Inner Chambers. It's a um, a manga series by uh, Fumi Yoshinaga, which is about what if a disease wiped out most of the men in Japan right around the time Japan isolated itself from the rest of the world and over the course of that hundred years became a matriarchal society. And it takes place inside the female shogun's like inner sanctum where all of the gender roles are reversed. And it's like a pretty serious AU of like hundreds of years of history with this like only in Japan gender roles have reversed thing. It's super interesting and way, way, way better than ever (laughs) was. A theme... What else do we have to say about this one? Um, okay, so I actually, despite the fact that they have no plot, I really, and, and like, the main source of, like, hanging out with these characters is them <laughs> bickering with each other. I actually did enjoy the whole sequence where they were trying to cross the river. At some point, they were, like, talking Forking about who river. should go first and, like, are they gonna, mm, are they gonna... That was fun. Something, I don't know, but one of them at some point said, like, oh, you know, like, if I turn around, you'll kill me. It was, like... I'd kill you for a breath mint. And I, I chuckled a little. I was like, yeah, these people all hate each other and they all deserve it. But it was kind of fun. And, like, they try to cross the river. It's a bad idea. They almost drown. April saves Jaleel. Like, I, that whole sequence, I didn't mind uh, on, like, on like its own terms. I was a, I sort of enjoyed that. Um, I liked the moment I, where... Christopher makes a joke about Senna turning into a skeleton and she gets a makeover and it like doesn't get a reaction from anyone. And then Senna reveals herself and changes back from bone into flesh. And Christopher's like, you got a makeover. And she's like, it wasn't funny the first time. <laughs> that, was yeah, that was great. Jokes at Jaleel's expense are, yeah, or sorry, Christopher's, Christopher's expense are, are priceless. I also... It's the only real humor. Um, the, an, a, a, another good horror sequence that we haven't talked about is... Jaleel's nightmare when oh. he flips back into the real world oh gosh, and yeah. then runs into Senna is so good. So he's like working at his like fast food job or something, and then like some like chicken he's cooking turns into Senna in a like absolutely awful way. And then he wakes up and he's like, "Okay, I'm back here. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. You know, like I'm gonna wash my hands. You're like, I'm uh, given the compulsions. It's fine for now. I'll check behind the shower curtain. I always do that. I mean, it's it's really silly. Uh-huh. And then Senna's behind the shower curtain. I was like. Perfect jump scare. Perfect jump scare in book form. I was like, that was really, really, really well done. No, that was so great. props to them for pulling that off. Yeah. yeah. I... Much better than the multiple cycles of dreams in that horrible Rachel uh, Cryak book. Yeah. Um, Alva Grant didn't write that one. They just drafted true. it. So <laughs> they haven't been sleeping, but Jaleel is having dreams. Like when you fall asleep at Everworld, hmm. you wake up in real life. 
But I guess if you're asleep in real life and asleep in upper world at the same time, you're having your dreams that you were having in real life. I guess. Mm -hmm. I was hoping it was like something cool and magical that like there's a third space, the dreamscape. But again, (laughs) that's too much hope. I thought thought it was kind of trying to send him a message somehow. Ooh, that that could be. I mean, she is wily. A couple things, a couple like really small things I liked. Um, when they come across the the city of hell, they've been like walking across this landscape and there's a cliff and it's described as like we've been walking across a sheet cake and someone had cut a slice. I just really liked that image. It really clearly conveyed the like whoa of the of the cliff. I also liked, although I can't tell if it was deliberately a joke at Jaleel's expense or if it was just the author's not understanding what vocabulary people have. Um, he's describing himself, and he describes himself as a black poindexter, most people think. I was like, no, no, no one thinks that. No one knows what that word means or would ever use it. No. And then I looked it up. I did not know what it meant. I mean, I know what it maybe meant, you guys but all knew I what it don't meant. think it is that anyone used it in the 90s, maybe. I mean, this is, but like, to... To be fair to that description, for whatever reason, I knew what Poindexter meant. Like, I probably just. I feel like that's more or less equivalent to my take on Jaleel, where like, oh, they're doing Black Spock. Like, yeah. it's, it, I think it's just kind of like, if you're going to reduce him to a cliche, that's what that's what they that's that's the cliche they picked before they added like OCD and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's. Um. I so so on the point of I, going back to your theory, Meg, that we're going to get some character progression. I was really interested in Jaleel's relationship with his father as it comes up in in this book, like just a little bit where his his father is working on the house and being like super demanding and and, like exacting in a way that like seems to be perhaps related to the like control issue that is going to that's involved with his OCD or something. But like Mm -hmm. I would have I would have signed up for like a lot more of like Jaleel and his family and learning about who he is and a lot less mm. of like what part of his body is Sunny going to touch next. <laughs> like I don't know. Is she going to turn I, off his compulsions? It, it was like I was like, "Oh, this this could be an interesting set of character dynamics, but it just didn't it just didn't go anywhere." Maybe it will in in book 8. Or 12. <laughs> Do you remember how one of our commenters told us that the second half of this series is it's uneven? Worse. I can't believe... I, I'm just... I'm so nervous. How is it possible? Okay. Maybe what they meant is that the second half has some really amazing books and also some books at the same level as the ones we've been seeing. I I have some questions for you guys. Yeah, I'm terrified. I have some <laughs> questions for you guys, like fill-in-the-blank questions. So okay. at some point, April and Christopher are, are um, saying naughty words to each other but okay. with a slight variation oh do you remember that yes they like uh, they said like two harsh now. harsh words to each other oh, but yes. slightly changed when christopher Any... talks my eyes go skip <laughs> I, so I had does to anyone want to pitch what the harsh words are that yeah. April and christopher would use bitch and bastard all right that's good that's good i didn't think of that oh man how about colder than a witch's Fill in the blank. Tit. That ends tit. Yeah. And then he says, heart. (laughs) Was that it for your film? That was it. That was just a couple of (laughs) Apple Grant YA classics. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
So, going back to the character growth, this is jumping ahead a little to predictions, but, like, what I really want to see for Jaleel, I want him to go to a therapist and learn how to manage his OCD. Like, it doesn't seem like he's ever told anyone about this. It doesn't seem like he is in therapy or he has, like, tried any, like, medications or any remedies. And I just, I want him to reach out and get some help because clearly it is a difficult thing for him. Uh... Therapy didn't exist in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, evolved past the need for therapy in the 80s. So we didn't have any of it in the 90s. And now in it's the, so much the, the odds in the 20s, we finally figured out, hey, actually, it's great. And everyone should have it. <laughs> These people in particular. Yeah. I am going to. Yeah. All right. Oh. So. I just, I just have another, I'm looking through my notes now, but another complaint that I think, uh, well, I, this is, I think, like, the last thing that, I think this is, like, the low point of the book for me, and <laughs> thankfully we got into, like, weird zany horror after this, but, like, the bit where they're, they get into Hell's Town, and they're in the room with, like, the two beds or whatever, and Christopher's like, well, I'm sleeping with, like, April, wink, wink, and, and she April kind of, like, says. jokes... David. She like jokes to go along with it, yeah. But but like it's like it's so f-ing exhausting. The like yeah. the fact that April has to be like complicit in this this joke that like Christopher wants to rape her because like rape culture is everywhere and of like of course he gets to like sleep with the token girl unless she fends him off, right? Like it's it's so gross and so exhausting. And Christopher is an absolutely terrible character who has brought yeah. no value to the series so far. At one point, Jaleel's like, Christopher isn't dumb. And I was like, really? And he's like, sometimes he seems like this racist asshole. And sometimes he seems like my best friend. And I was like, really? Never. When has that ever happened? He's never <laughs> seemed like that. I feel like we are told things about Christopher that we then never see. Also, and I'm then, very um, worried if this is kid is your best friend. Get better friends. <laughs> I don't think he meant that. I think he meant he's being all buddy buddy. But yeah, they're they're giving us a bunch of tell don't show about the kids that like we've mm-hmm. been inside each of these kids' heads now and like we know what kind of people they are. And then Jalil will be like, you know what, Christopher? He seems like he's all these terrible negative traits, but he's basically my best friend. And and sometimes when I look at David, <laughs> wow, he just seems like a real hero. And I'm like, you all hate David's guts. Like, and we all hate David's so that's, guts. It's not like it goes way like it's the informed ability thing or like mm-hmm. informed traits where we're just like told a thing, but then mm-hmm. it's not that we're not shown it; it's that we're shown the opposite. Like, it's like Cassie and Rachel's friendship where we're like, "Really? Please, please show us how this is real," because all we see is them being completely different in every way. Huh? Um. Do Do we have a? Uh... Do we have other things to say about this this book or about? Um, we could do predictions matters. for because Jenny started. So the I think we should do we should do nineties. Then we should do leprechauns and then we should do predictions. Great idea. <laughs> I want to ask Gray a question about leprechauns. Segment. Okay. Oh, we need Gray's Irish mythology rant. Well, that's what I was going to. Oh, ask it's mostly about, about leprechauns. Do you want to do that? Don't worry. Do you want me right. to do? Should we do that now or after the nineties moments? Do nineties moments first. Okay. okay. All right. So some nineties moments and then we'll get Gray's rant about leprechauns possibly my favorite 90s moment in this 
So possibly... I was, tra- I was pointing to not distract you. <laughs> totally defeated the purpose. I'm so sorry, Jenny. So possibly my favorite 90s moment in this book. Jaleel's like, yeah, I was telling people stories, you know, that they hadn't heard, but we knew because we've been in the real world, you know, like President Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And I was like, that sounds like the worst story ever. <laughs> like, that's not a good story. Like, it's a huge scandal because of, like, context. the context of, like, who who they are, like, what was happening in, like, our society. It is not a good story. It was the worst example of, like, a real world thing to live. Okay, oh, are y'all, are y'all Trekkies at all? Somewhat. Oh. I've seen one episode, Spock's Brain. <laughs> well, okay. I've seen the original series. My favorite episode of Star Trek of all time is uh, uh, the Next Generation episode called Darmok, where the captain gets trapped on a planet with a representative of another culture. And they all have oh. universal translators, and the translator can translate every single word they're saying, but the problem is, is this culture only speaks in... Oh yeah! Basically, pop culture references. There's, they reference they the show up for the first time. I have seen this episode. It's fantastic. Yeah, and <clears throat> I could just imagine them being like, "And Monica Lewinsky and President Clinton together," and the people <laughs> and in Everworld like, are yep. like, "I'm sorry, <laughs> what's a president?" <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and. I mean, I can only imagine it's like, yeah, so we have, like, basically this king, and he had sex with someone who was working for him, and then everyone found out, and everyone's like, okay. And they're like, yeah, joie de seigneur. Like, tell me something we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So when's the story coming? Yeah. Um, There was a great line about, we had the private chat room reference again, like these Mm -hmm. aliens invading Everworld. Like, and... The uh, the specific line this time was, like someone guessing the right keyword to break into a private chat room. I was like, oh, we're so early in the internet. The password hasn't even become a standardized thing yet. Either that or Apple Grinch is just really out of touch. There was a reference what to I playing um, video games on CD-ROM. Yeah. There was a reference to Callista Flockhart Thin Elves. So I guess she has surpassed Courtney Cox now as our thin representative of the late 90s. At one point... There was a reference... Sorry, go on. At one point, he goes from a Barnes & Noble to a Borders. And that's adorable. (laughs) I miss that. Those were the days. Yeah. In our section of, like ragging on these eunuchs for not sounding like real men um there there was a comparison uh one of them was referred to as an even higher pitched mike tyson which i did not know that about mike tyson so i learned something i guess and also they look tough but man they sound like a bunch of nsync fans which a couple of things they spelled nsync not the way the band does, which was hilarious. And also they like, and also this is just like, it's just so misogynistic. Like the uh, sort of the derogatory attitude towards teenage girls who are fans of mm-hmm. things is like so pre- like prevalent in our modern culture and it's like, this is the most insulting thing you could call these men, comparing them to teenage girls, the worst kind of people. 
And it was gross. It's truly the worst. These teenage girls. There was a reference to rat fink, which I had never heard of. So And they said it like five times and it was Christopher, of course. (laughs) Of course. Him and his like really old pop culture references. So Ratfink is like a cartoon character um, who was created in 1963, but saw a resurgence in the 90s um, as like part of the grunge slash punk rock movement. So it wasn't it wasn't really an out of date reference for Christopher to make, but it I, was completely obscure to me. That is fascinating. Yeah. I know Alan Sherman did a song about Rat Fank, but mm-hmm. he was from the 60s. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was just one of their weird dated references. Oh, yeah. He was the Hellamata Hellafata guy. Oh, but yeah. he does, he does, he's, he does a song where he spells out Rat Fink. Huh. With two T's. Oh, that's not how they spelled it here. I don't Interesting. Know. Um, they're also, I can't remember the context for this now because I read this a week ago. But at some point, someone is called a transvestite, or like that term is used. And I was oh, like, that feels no. It was dated uh, they were saying maybe it's hell. They're like, oh, maybe she's not a woman. Maybe she's a transvestite. And I was like, gross. That's not yeah. so. No. We can add transphobia to the list <laughs> of the sins of these series. Yeah. Also, there's a reference to Beanie Babies. I think that's. I think that's all I have. Uh, so, Gray, I, I'd like to ask you a question. Yes, go on, Ted. How so, I, I, you know, I don't know that much about um, Celtic or, or Irish mythology, but I, I'm just going to assume, based on Apple Grant's track record so far, um, oh, I see you're stretching, but I'll, I'll try and drag out the question so that you can just be get ready to prepare. But the, the, um, the Lurach Main, um, or the, 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 the Lurgatan, um, that are cited in the same paragraph here, so those those are definitely like actual like Keebler elf level leprechauns, right? They like live at the end of rainbows and they they have <laughs> gold and they bake cookies, right? That's definitely what they are. They're they're what when Christopher says leprechauns, he and Nidhogg the dragon are on the same page, right? Like I'm assuming that's right. They're Can you just confirm that for me? Charms. They uh, yeah they have they have rainbows and. Uh... All sorts of, uh, you know, they always dress in green, accepting of, big uh, green hats with buckles. LGBT yep. Um, I the gold buckles are key. Got <laughs> so upset about this because when Christopher he makes a joke early on about, oh yeah, what else are we gonna see? Leprechauns. And I was like, oh Christopher, windsurfing leprechauns. Windsurfing leprechauns. That's right. <laughs> and I was like, oh Christopher, you're the worst. I hate you a lot. <laughs> what a funny joke for you to make in line with all of your other jokes. It's very stupid. I'm so delighted to hear that that will hmm, never come up again. And then we got to the end of this goddamn book. And the dragon says to them uh, that he has, he has had in his in his possession, just for mm, reasons, I don't, I don't know what reasons. He doesn't tell me what reasons, but for some reason, he has in his, in his possession, he has the four, uh, tr- four talismans he calls them, but the the treasures of the Tuatha who are basically like 
they're not gods exactly, and they're not fairies, but they're sort of supernatural, mythical figures in Irish folklore. And <laughs> somehow this dragon has the four treasures of the Tuatha de Danann, which, all right, fine. Also, one of them is translated really weird, and I'm sure we'll get to it next book. Like, I do not understand this thing about the cauldron bringing forth the food of endless youth. I have never seen it translated like that, ever, ever, ever. It's always something about how no one who comes to the cauldron ever goes away unsatisfied. So usually it's, you know, oh. like a, the feast of plenty or whatever. But it's not like endless youth. It's not the fountain of youth. You just, you get food and then you can go back and fight some more. Like, I don't, <laughs> whatever. I'm sure we'll get that next book. And I'll yell about it then. For now, I want to yell about the fact that Nighagr <laughs> says to them, Nidhag says, who took the four talismans of the Tuatha de Danann? The filthy Lorchamain, of course. The Lorgadan, who else would dare? <sighs> None but the little thieves, the grubbers after treasure, the most vile and despicable leprechauns. And I just want you to know, had this been my book, I would have hurled it bodily across the room. It wasn't my book, so what I did instead was I closed the book and then I put it down and then I yelled a lot uh, just <laughs> at the world. Okay, so here's just a little thing about leprechauns. They are part of Irish folklore. No one knows why. They are not in most primary sources. They're not a huge part of any any Irish folklore. Like the original folklore, there's a lot about the she, um, the oshi, the, the good people, the fairies. They live in the fairy mounds, whatever. Leprechauns were like, and then sometimes there are leprechauns and they've got shoes and we don't know why. They're a very weird, tiny <laughs> part of of um, Irish folklore. Now, something kind of interesting, I looked this up because I didn't want to just be telling you what I learned when I was a kid, you know, from my family. So I looked this up and I actually found something quite interesting. In 2019, um, they've been doing this big research project into Irish language, right? Because it's one of those languages that's still alive, but in very, very small parts of, of Ireland. And it's being revised as a written and spoken language. But as part of that, there's been a lot of research done into the history of the language. And in 2019, they came out with all this new information about a bunch of words. People have been doing this research forever. We're like, hey, we thought it meant this. It actually comes from this word, whatever. Leprechaun's actually one of the words that they gave more history on, which I thought was totally fascinating. And what this group of scholars said is not a native Irish word, which everyone already knew because it doesn't, it, there's no etymology for it that matches other etymology in, in folklore, any sort of fairy tales. So what they think is that it actually comes from Luperci, which is a group uh, related to an, an ancient Roman festival, um, Lupercalia, which is like a pastoral festival. And so Luperci became leprechaun. And then because of some like weird other etymology things, somebody heard it as having to do with shoes and then they became cobblers. <laughs> it's like a very weird thing, but it has literally never mattered because there's like two stories about leprechauns. There is a ton of Irish folklore, right? There's just so, there are so many stories. It is a storytelling culture. There's a lot of oral stories that have been told through the years. And there's like one story and maybe they're leprechauns or maybe they're dwarves and who cares because they only show up once, right? They help Fergus and then nothing else happens. So it's just like, it's always been a really weird part of 
Irish folklore. And the reason that it is particularly obnoxious for a lot of people is that leprechauns have become this super twee symbol of Ireland mm -hmm. for tourists. And so when you when you go to Ireland and you walk into like any of the, you know, shops along the main drag, there's always going to be like lucky charm ass leprechauns hanging off the doorway for kids to get and it just it's like it's just the dumbest shit. A lot of it's really stereotypical, right? Like Irish people, they're short, they have red hair, they're really poor, so they're after your gold, and like it's lucky if you catch them, right? Like it's there's a bunch of weird shit mixed into it, and it's all very bad. Mm -hmm. But if you were going to pick part of the Irish culture and mythology to talk about for any reason ever, that you would pick leprechauns is just the most insultingly banal thing to choose and to loop them in with the Tuatha de Danann who have all these wonderful stories when you could have gone with any number of mischief-making creatures from any number of mythologies to to pick leprechauns and they're gonna wear green and they're gonna have hats and they're gonna carry a goddamn shamrick and I'm going to lose my mind throughout the entire next book and I just want to warn you in advance that it's coming because I can't believe that the end of this story was someone stole my gold it must have been the leprechauns <laughs> that and so I book. actually I I predict that they're gonna like meet some like tough warriors and those are going to turn out to be the leprechauns and then apple grant will be patting themselves in the back being like look we realized that this image of leprechauns are stupid we used a real one but of course based on what gray just told us that will not be no, accurate and i predict already... sorry go ahead ted no <clears throat> i well I, i'm sorry i interrupted you greg i predict that the leprechauns will be stupid green wearing hat wearing cobbler stereotypes and david will mow them down gleefully and gray <laughs> will like david for the first time the the never happened the other thing that that she brought She'll up like david. really it, it was interesting there were like these bits of celtic mythology that she sort of sprinkled in so the tuathadanan came up earlier in the book but also some of the warriors in hell's town she refers to them mm -hmm. as Fianna. I, I noticed They're that. They're Finn. Um, Finn or Fianna or whatever. Um, and <coughs> bless, um, the Fianna were like warrior bands. They were warriors who roamed around the countryside, eh, making trouble mostly, um, and getting into mm -hmm. adventures and all kinds of things. And like the fact that they exist and then again, like that's a real cool thing for you to explore. Like bands of warriors roaming about the countryside and then also here are the Tuatadanan, and here are like the she and whatever. All of that would be very cool. And instead, they were like, mm, "What's the laziest stereotype we can find? Spin the wheel. Oh, it's leprechauns. It's definitely leprechauns. That's what we're going with." <sighs> so far, a lot of their mythological characters have been the name from mythology, and then whatever we decide is coolest. Mm -hmm. So, because yeah. like Loki isn't really Loki, hell isn't hell, uh, mm. just nobody actually matches up 
with their authentic mythological histories. That seems accurate. What if we find out that Christopher invented Everworld? (laughs) That would explain so much. He got super high. He wrote it all down. Maybe he did some illustrations. And then he forgot everything. And we're going to find out that the big bat, Ka'anor, is, is Christopher. It's Christopher! He made it all up. That's my yeah. that's my big. I have a I have an actual serious prediction. You not that that was not that was serious. Sorry, I shouldn't okay, have put, Meg, I know what you meant to say. Yeah, uh, I didn't mean to belittle you, Ted. I apologize. Um, <laughs> David's gonna kill the dragon in the next book, right? He's gonna be David Dragon Slayer, one of Senna's prophecies. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it's a David book next time, and I just looked at the first oh, page, right. and uh, the boy is feeling some feelings about how everyone is treating him for liking Senna. Poor David. Wow, maybe it's because you shouldn't like Senna. Yeah. He David. can't listen. He just can't help himself. Have you okay. seen how Senna's dressed? <laughs> <laughs> y'all, y'all, we have to predict what's the deal with Thor. We heard Thor got eaten by Kaanor. Loki ended up with his hammer, but actually Hell has captured Thor. Is Hell, is this a copy? Is this a clone? Is this a Thor clone? Is Loki, did, does Kaanor not exist? And Loki's actually the big bad? Like, where are we going with this? Can I give you one more mythology? Thor will never come back. <gasps> Side wait, <laughs> wait, I have an answer. Wait, I have Jenny, an answer what to did Ted's thing. I said Thor will never come back. No, no, no. I have a real serious answer. Kaanor eats them, and then he poops them out in those ice cubes. <laughs> and Hell collects them? Yes. Limited edition. Nice. nice. Scat. So Kaanor and Andalites have the same shaped poop. <laughs> from That is probably from an animal fact, because wombats poop cube-shaped. Ooh, exactly. Why did, the Andalites, Thank you, Meg. why did the Andalites design a morphing device shaped like their poop? Was it like a poop emoji device? <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, alternate anamorphs where a human gets stranded on the Andalite homeworld and says, touch this object. And it's like, uh, three small spheres squashed on top of each other and the top had a point. The color was brown. There you go. <laughs> Gross. Um, can I give you my... I, I forgot there was one little thing that I did like, and it's another mythology sidebar, but not a rant this time. So oh, in nice. Hell's world, there are these, um, you know, the ice cubes, and Thor is in one of them. Uh, in another is Baldur. And that is another Norse myth where um, Baldur is the very favorite of all the favorite kids on um, all of the, in Asgard. He's the, the favorite of all the children of, uh, I think he's probably one of Odin's kids. And so um, he has these dreams that he's going to die. And everyone's very sad because they don't want Baldur to die. So his mother goes around and makes everybody promise not to kill Baldur. And by everyone, she means gods, <laughs> plants, trees animals like she talks to every being on the on the earth and they all gave their pledges that's how much they loved him and then they were the gods were so sure that this was gonna work that they form a (laughs) ring around this guy and then they throw things at him like spears and axes and rocks and sure enough 
they all bounce harmlessly off this guy who is, for some reason, standing in this circle and letting them throw shit at him. <laughs> and then Loki, who's very jealous, of course, um, asks uh, Frigg, who's Baldur's mother, and says, are you sure you asked absolutely everything in the world not to harm Baldur? And she says, I, this. I, mi- I did not ask mistletoe because it's so small and harmless surely it could never hurt him. So I didn't even bother talking to the mistletoe. I talked to all the other plants on Earth. Frig. But not mistletoe. And so Loki, being an what ass... What a friggin' mistake. Gets a mistletoe, makes it into an arrow. <laughs> and then, because he's an asshole, right? Gives the arrow to Baldur's blind brother, who is sad mm. because he's missing out on the fun of throwing things at his brother. <laughs> and then Loki helps him uh-huh. aim the arrow. He shoots the arrow. The arrow kills Balder. And Balder is sent into hell. And then, then Frigg is like, oh no, that's so terrible. I know. And Hell says, if, if you can get everybody on Earth to agree that Loki, that Balder is the best, then he can come back. And everybody <laughs> on Earth agrees that he can come back except for so so great great if you run around earth to ask everybody if balder uh-huh. can come back is that called a balder dash yes it is it's exactly what it is well done <laughs> uh, so he does that and then it turns out almost everybody does except for one person who's loki in disguise who says nope he never did anything for me why should i do anything for him and then balder has to stay in hell forever and Loki. The thing about it is, that whole story is so stupid for so many reasons, not least of which is, no matter how sure you are of this whole protection because your mom asked everybody not to hurt you, why would you stand in a circle of other gods and let them shoot arrows and spears at you? That's kind of your fault, isn't it? <laughs> wow, Balder shaming This concludes I love Story Hour story. with Grey. <laughs> Wait, this is why Loki was locked up, but then he managed to escape when Everworld was created and all the chaos he managed yeah. to escape. That's what we learned in the first That's book, That's probably right? something like that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just so dumb. All right, do we... Do we I... Yeah. Do I we think... have any other predictions? Ted looks dead. Yeah, I'm ready to fade back into the niffles that I came from. I have no other predictions. I am not oh, looking forward to the next book. You'll be niffled. I'm really looking forward to yelling about it. I can't believe there were fucking leprechauns. God damn it. <laughs> I I just don't. I I, I think I, I think I'm all in on Meg's. David will begin to have a character arc in book five. Mm, like mm-hmm. that might be make or break or me for me in terms of continuing to give these books a chance (laughs) surely he must somebody must have a character arc someday right right please there are people who seem to like these books so there must be something good about them nostalgia i mean (laughs) that probably makes a big difference i don't know i read them at the time didn't like them that much never read them again so and i i think one of the reasons why we're so harsh on these books is we love animorphs so much and it's like how could the animorphs team 
do this and it's just it's, it's yeah disappointing every book and i keep hoping it won't be i'm like oh april's book will be good oh jaleel's book will be good and uh-huh. so far no dice yeah we've seen all the characters now if this if this series were longer than 12 i would probably just be like nope but like i feel like i have like what we've seen so far i have 12 books in me I can do 12. Yeah, can we take But yeah, can we take a quick survey? How are we feeling about ability to get through this? I can get through 12. Yeah, we're 30% <laughs> done. I No, yeah. we're a quarter of the wait. 4 out of 12. Yeah, we're 30% done. We're 30, 30, 30, 33% done. Yeah. 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 We should do some um some housekeeping in terms of uh what Meg will need to know for editing. Tell me all your secrets. Oh, and thus endeth the podcast. <laughs> if you want to find us, we are at animorphology.com and at animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Good heavens. I think you mean good hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean bad hell. Bad heavens. <laughs> Bad hell.